don't need no one, I got myself. Been waiting so long for someone to hold me down. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Clevis Murray, and thank you for tuning into this episode of State of the Court. In this edition, I talk to Penn alum and legend AJ Brodier. We discuss the difficulties of quarantine as he's trying to jumpstart a pro career, being an Ivy League student athlete, the placement of analytics in basketball, and much, much more. So with all that said, please enjoy. Cool. So so first off, how's this quarantine been for you? Um, Man, it's been it's been long. You know, there's, there's uh, it started off... You know, I, at least I had, I had school finish up. Um, I was, the first couple months were, was just me, you know, trying to, to wrap my head around all of it um, while still, um, while still trying to get in a gym somewhere and uh, like find a place to work out. And it was, it was really slow for those first couple months. But um, once school ended, then like I had, I really had no excuse to, <laughs> you know, to be, to be, you know, just be sitting in my house, you know, focused on on my studies you know graduation all that came and went um started to take it more a little bit more seriously trying to find some stuff and now luckily I've been um I found a place to to safely work out uh, I think that's the biggest thing but um it's been it's been slow and it's been um a lot to a lot to digest but you know we're, we're all learning to to live with it and to you know take it one day at a time um one day at a time turns to one week at a time turns to one month at a time and um yeah, it's just for me. It's just been uh, trying to stay positive. And you're a guy that you're clearly trying to take your game to the next level. And obviously, having this pandemic going on, where you're trying to work out, you maybe you're trying to if it's get a spot with an NBA team or maybe go overseas or anything of that nature. How tough has it been for you, knowing that this has kind of altered um, a lot of plans that you may have had? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely been tough. You know, this year is obviously it's such a unique a unique year from uh to be to be a senior in, in college going into you know the the post-grad era of my life um you know I had I had a lot of plans you know at the beginning of this year like around January February you know hopefully uh we were going to finish the season out strong and then um go to some like pre-draft workouts some camps um you know get seen you know I, I was really looking forward to you know, getting, getting my name out there and, and seeing where I could take it. And then obviously everything happened and it kind of got put on hold. And I think that's a, a thing that's happened to a lot of guys is that, you know, they've been put on hold and um, it kind of, it's just, it, it put a real, it, it put a real like wrench into things, but um, I, was, I was just trying to control what I can control. You know, that's what I've been, what I've been doing my entire basketball career and um, just trying to stay in shape, stay active, you know, keep my, uh, always still, still trying to improve my skill set. And um, just get ready for whatever comes next. You know, you'll never, you never know what it is, but um, just got to stay ready. So with the pandemic going on, and then you mentioned how you kind of had a struggle finding somewhere to work out, a bunch of the, and about all of the uncertainty. How have you been able to figure things out going forward for yourself? Um, it's just been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot. The hardest thing was, you know, finding places to to do all this before I could even do that. You know, I was just trying to stay in shape and you know, stay active any way I could. And that, that left me after like a month of, you know, not, not shooting a basketball, which was probably the hardest thing. Um, I was just talking to people, talking to my agent, um, my co my head coach at Penn coach Donahue. He's one of the, 
most well-connected people in Philadelphia and just college basketball as a whole. And he was still, um, you know, he was looking, helping, uh, helping me try to find a place to work out to get a ball back in my hands. But, you know, even that was, uh, wasn't, it wasn't very fruitful. And I think that that just goes to show how serious things, uh, think God and how serious they were and still, and still are. But, um, just, yeah, my, my mindset was always just, you know, do something, get better every day, stay in shape. Um, you know, find a way to run so that when you do get back on the court, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not walking up and down because that's, that's never been a part of my game. And I don't want to, <laughs> I don't, I don't want that to, to be introduced to my game and uh, one of the most important stages of my career. So, um, yeah. And, and then you mentioned how your coach and your agent were obviously super connected, trying to help you find avenues for where your post-career could go. I know you're not, you can't reveal like what exactly you guys were discussing, but is there an idea of what you could like say of what, where you guys were entertaining before everything kind of went up in the air? Yeah. So um, I four, like my plans at the beginning of the year were to, um, you know, keep my options open, you know, keep an open mind, whether that meant um, entertaining overseas offers to go, um, to go play in Europe or, um, you know, try out the, go through the, the whole pre-draft process, you know, summer league workouts, camps, all that. And, um, you know, hopefully get an opportunity somewhere like in the G league, maybe a, a two way or something. And then obviously that all, um, you know, when, as things started to develop, it started to become less of a reality that, um, you know, the next season, especially for the G league will start on time. And now it's even in question whether they'll have a season at all. So then at that point, it's starting to, um, I was just thinking that, you know, if, if that was the route I was going to go, it would mean not playing another game of basketball until, you know, maybe not even until next January, you know, next February. And that's still something to consider, but I'm just like exploring all the options, you know, when, when is, when are European basketball is going to be able to start up again, you know, their responses to, to the pandemic and their press in overcoming it is then any, you know, it's, there's no two situations are the same. So just taking, taking the information as it comes, you know, like I said before, one month at a time, you know, one week at a time, one day at a time. Um, That's just been my mindset going forward. And it's, uh, you know, it's tough, but kind of just going with the flow and hopefully um, more of these opportunities will, will present themselves. Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned how the G League could be in question. It's funny because heard the same thing. I was talking to a Julie coach about maybe a week, week and a half ago, and he noted too because he expected their season to get this past season to get canceled because he was like, the longer it goes on, the more likely it is our season gets canceled and it gets canceled. Last week, I talked to Gabe Vincent, who's actually a two-way player for the Miami Heat, and he said the same thing. And I'm sure you know that G League ground is no joke because he's out here uh, hotel hopping. He's trying to make his dreams come true, and he's going from hotel to hotel to hotel. And I was talking to another, another person that says like, they highly doubt it happens just because of everything going on. And then obviously you mentioned like overseas is tough. So I, I just been so interested as to what could guys that don't have the, the, the best routes to the NBA do, because like you mentioned earlier, it's just, everything seems absorbed. There's no, uh, there's no senior game. There's no pit. There's no summer league. There's nothing. So I just been fascinated as to like, how yeah. could guys find a way? I mean, have you heard, have you, thought of or, or talked to anyone else that has that maybe has like unique avenues or has it just been just wait and see for the most part like you mentioned before um you know I have, I have talked to a couple guys you know some guys who um 
you know, we're on, we're part of the G League last year. You know, I know a guy who's now going to play overseas this next season just because it's, oh, wow. uh, you know, he has a surefire, a surefire date of when he's leaving to go over to Europe. And um, sounds like that they're going to, you know, have a season that um, is more, I mean, I'm not going to say fully guaranteed, but more likely <laughs> than you know, what, what we might have over here. And I think that, you know, obviously everyone's different. You know, everyone's, everyone chooses a different path. Um, depending on, you know, who they are and what their priorities are. And I think that, um, you know, really defining those priorities for yourself is what's most, should be most important for, you know, for all these guys who are kind of unsure with what the future might hold for them. And I think that's what I'm trying to do is to just, you know, see, it might not be going to plan. It might not be going according to how I envision things, you know, in, yep. in January or February, but that can't stop me from, still trying to decide what actually would be the best decision for me while still keeping my priorities straight. Yeah. And then, so, so when the pandemic first happened, obviously like it was in China first and then it emigrated here. And then in March, you know, obviously in the United States is when a lot of people took it seriously. Um, and I want to ask you this. So when it, cause I believe the Ivy league was the first to cancel. I, I want to say yep. you guys were the first to cancel. Mm -hmm. And obviously that was new. That was fresh. No one, there wasn't a lot of information about COVID-19 out at the time. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we know a lot more now. So my question is, at the time, there was, I know there's a petition going around asking people, hey, like, reverse the decision, all this stuff. When did it hit you that this is something serious? And, like, when it, it – that's, that's an interesting question because you, you're right. When it hit us, when, you know, when the Ivy League canceled our postseason tournament, you know, we were the only – like, I think we were the only, like, entity in the country that was, mm -hmm. like, shut down. Yeah. because of the virus and at the time it was like man like we're we, we felt like we were on an island like why us you know nothing else happened and then it was like the next week that they sent home fans from an nba game because mm -hmm. someone had tested positive before before the game and that's when it started to hit us like man like this is like this is real and like this is serious and like it's not it doesn't seem like it's getting any better because the nba like like you gotta understand like it's a like it's a it's a huge business it's a billion dollar business and when a business like that decides to shut its doors for potentially losing all that all those revenue streams you know that's that's when you know that um you know when the money goes down and people are letting that happen then you know it's there there's a serious health health concern there and i think that that's when um myself and a lot of other people started to realize that you know it's a lot more serious than you know we thought it was you know, when you're, you're hearing about it on, you know, on Twitter, you know, people talking about it, you know, there's a, <laughs> a, potential, a potential disease that might start spreading. You know, you hear that at like the end of February, beginning of March, you know, no one really thinks of it. And mm -hmm. then like sports start shutting down. It seems like something that's so central to American culture. When that, you know, starts to, starts to deteriorate, like how it did, that's when, you know, it was a wake up call for people. Yeah, yeah, no, for, for sure. Like seeing how... Because the Ivy League was first and seeing everything just – because then the tournament went and then the NBA went and then it just trickled down. And now, again, I'm sure you've seen it where the Ivy League canceled all – well, not canceled, postponed all sports until January 1st, which include obviously football and part of the basketball season. So I just want to get your thoughts on that too, of them once again being – I believe being the first conference to kind of act until the new year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely I definitely support um, the decision to, to do what they do, especially with um, – you know, how involved they've been with, um, you know, trying to, to make our environment a, a safer, more healthy place for um, not just the, like the, the student athletes, but for the community as a whole. And, 
Um, it's funny to think about because when, like I said before, when it all, when it happened to us back in March, you know, we were the first ones to, to really stop what we were doing. And at the time, you know, we were just thinking like, man, like why us? Like, we're really like, we're taking the, you know, the, the sharp end of the sword right now. Like it's like, we're falling on it. And now you start to realize that it's not us that's taking the worst of it. You know, it's the, the rising seniors next year who might not even have a season, you know, they're missing their whole, their whole senior year. We, we missed three months of school. You know, we had our whole regular season. We missed the postseason, And now like the, the next, the next year, and even maybe the next, a couple of years might be in question to these guys, especially because if the Ivy League basketball season doesn't start till at least January, you know, that's only half the season. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of guys will take this year off to, you know, maintain eligibility for the next year. Um, I know if I was, uh, if I was playing my senior year this year, I would heavily consider and very seriously consider redshirting this year just to, you know, get a full season back. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough for these, for these guys who are who are still going through it right now, who are still in school, um, at first it was, it seemed like a such a, a dire situation for us. You know, the the current seniors like that's how we're being sent off. But then, you know, it's like we it, you think about it. You know, we got out just in time. You know, like it was like we barely scraped by. I'm, I'm surprised we even got the end of our season. And like knowing how serious <laughs> it is now, we should have. You know, they should have canceled all that stuff. You know, yeah. weeks before, maybe even months. Um, obviously hindsight 2020, but. Um, I'm just, I'm just, you know, thanking my lucky stars. We were able to get all those games in, um, that we did in, in the time that we did. Yeah. And you mentioned how, you know, you, you were able to finish your regular season. So you only missed the, you only missed the Ivy league tournament, but for yourself, and I know, I'm sure you hear this a lot where you're viewed as, as a legend at your school, you, you have so many, you have numerous school records. So with, your, with you losing the tournament, obviously, you know, as a senior, you lose a, a few, like, three months of uh, remaining of the semester. Have you had time to reflect on your career at any point yet? Yeah, I, I've, I've thought about it, especially, um, I mean, it, it was more negatively as soon as the, uh, like, when, when we found out that our postseason was canceled, you know, we wouldn't be able to go out the way we wanted to. But then as time went on and you, you start to put put things into perspective, you're able to me personally, I was able to look back positively on um, how how good I felt the last four years and how great the experience was. And um, you know, I played I played in every single every single game in my in my Penn career that I was able to. And you know, that last game for me on senior night, the last game that I would play in a Penn uniform at the Palestra, you know, I, I was able to accomplish so much individually. And I'm just glad that. Um, like I said before, that we got every game in our regular season because uh, I, you know, I needed every single one to to get to where <laughs> I was. You know, I, I needed to <laughs> all all hundred whatever games it was. You know, if it if it stopped a couple weeks before, or you know, end off been the same. But then you still feel for guys on my team like uh, like Devin Goodman. Um, we were ready to go into the playoffs, and he finished his Penn career with 998 points. Damn. And that's just like, got, like it's guys like that, man, that have worked so hard. You know, he's been, he's been through it all. You know, he, he went from not playing to, to being one of the stars on our team. You know, he was, he was one of our go-to guys. Um, and the way that, that his season or his career at Penn had to, had to finish up, you know, it, it sucks, but um, it's, 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 it's those things. And I'm sure he, he'll look back on his time as fondly as I do and how, um, you know, how it's shaped us, how we've grown together. 
um, how we were able to go through these things together. And this is uh, another thing. This is another shared experience that we have. And uh, I'm sure we're all, uh, we'll, we'll all look back on this, like, um, you know, five, 10 years from now and just think, like, we really did that. You know, we, we lived through, you know, we were, we were kind of pioneers in there where we were the first ones to, you know, to cancel our season. You know, we were leading the way. And in that way, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's bittersweet, definitely. Yeah, I mean, because from the outside looking in, like you mentioned a guy like you mentioned Devin, like you, you're two points shy of a thousand points, right? How many guys can say they've done that and it's just robbed for you? So, how, yeah. well, and I'm sure you guys were devastated you guys got the news, but when you see everything ongoing, what was kind of the morale around the team? If it's via group chats, if you guys had Zooms or anything like that, as you see that the right decision was made, because I'm sure in the moment you guys were questioning it a lot, but when did you guys realize like they made the right choice? Yeah, it had to be a couple weeks after the decision was made, you know, in those, in those couple weeks, it was really tough. We were just trying to, you know, stay together, be there for each other because people, um, you know, we're, we're all really close. We have great culture at, uh, at Penn and um, we were just trying to be there for each other. You know, people handle it in different ways. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of just like, it goes in stages, you know, at first you're just like in denial. you like, you don't want to believe that this is happening, especially to just us at the time. And then you start, and then you slowly go through those stages to eventually, a couple of weeks later, you start to accept it and, and realize that, you know, this was the right, the right move for, for, for us all. You know, it sucks that it had to be, you know, at this specific time, at this like part of our season. But um, like we, a couple of weeks after, after it happened, you know, we were able to, to be like, okay, like once we had that, that understanding of why it was happening, then we were able to accept it. Because when we, when there was still so much up in the air, so many unknowns, it was harder to, to kind of come to terms with that because of how we didn't understand it. You know, it was yeah. a lot easier to accept it if you know why. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. And and you mentioned the culture that you guys have at Penn State. So I'm a, I'm a, I know some people get weird when their accomplishments are listed. I don't, I don't know. Are you one of those people or do you kind of like hearing it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm indifferent, you know. You know, I like to hear it, but I don't like to say I like to hear it. You know, yeah. I'm sure that's how a lot of people are. <laughs> well, well I'm a, this is going to lead my, to my question. You're first in points, first in block shots, first in field goals made, first in games played, first in games started, second in field goal attempts, third in rebounds, third in minutes played, six all-time in assists, and most importantly, you are the reigning co-Ivy League player of the year next to Yale's Paul Atkinson. When you hear all of that, and I know you said you reflected earlier, but me just saying everything you've accomplished in four years, and especially this past season, especially the year before where you guys made the tournament, how would you yourself summarize your career? Um, I think I'd say that I w it, was, it was definitely a journey. You know, a lot of, a lot of development you know, getting through it. And also funny thing about um, all those stats you just mentioned, uh, my ears perked up when you said that uh, I was second in field goal attempts. And that that kind of made me feel a little bit better that knowing that I'm not the biggest gunner in Penn State. But uh, <laughs> there'll always be someone ahead of me. There's always someone. One. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's always, it's just been a grind. You know, I've had, uh, it, it goes back to the culture, you know, I've had, I've been surrounded by teammates who, um, who have trusted in the vision of, of coach Donahue. And that just happens to be putting a lot of trust into, into the centers of our, of his programs. And that happened to be me when I came in as a freshman, you know, I, I replaced uh, um, Darian Nelson Henry, you know, who was the guy for the previous coach and for coach Donahue for his last year. 
Um, so it was like the right time at the right place. And a lot of my teammates believed in me and believed in what I was able to do. And they, um, they built that confidence up for me really quickly. And I think that's a, that's a, that was a big thing for me. You know, I'm used to playing with incredible basketball players from, from high school, AAU, um, even through college. And, um, sometimes it's, it's tough to, you know, to tell yourself that, that you belong, you know, where you're at, you belong like on the court, you know, you deserve to, to be making these decisions and making these plays. And it wasn't even a question that, um, you know, when, when the first game of my career, I pen tipped off back in November of, uh, uh, what was it? 2016 that, you know, my teammates were, they, you know, they were, they were trusting me to, to be that guy, to be the guy to, um, you know, have the offense run through me, you know, make those decisions. Um, a lot of times that games were won, a lot of times games were lost because of, you know, things that I was able to do. Um, and um, I, that's one thing that I'm really thankful for are, are those guys I've had throughout the years. Um, I've, I've been really close with them. I'm still, I'm still really close with some of them. A lot of them actually um, have always pushed me to be better. Um, I, I say that they, they, they trusted me and they put a lot of confidence in me, but that's not to say that they didn't always push me to be better. Um, there was always something to improve on. And I think that shows with my improvement just statistically over the, over the course of four years, um, just solid, consistent improvement. And um, the years that we did better than others, I think, were the years that we really came together um, as a team better than the other years. You know, I feel like that one championship year, um, my sophomore year in 2017, the 2018 season, we, we were as close as a, we were as tight knit and, and close as a team could be that year. And I think that that really helped us a lot. Um, and, and that's the one, that's probably the one thing I'll remember most from my, my career at Penn was, you know, the guys that I had with me and how, uh, just, just how we all felt together, how we loved playing the game together, how we all look forward to going to practice. You know, there was no one who, um, you know, they, they'd be walking into practice with their head down, you know, everyone would be there, you know, you talking before practice, talking after practice, you know, hang out together, you know, practice was a time to, to kind of release ourselves from, you know, our rigorous academic schedules that we had throughout the day and kind of just, you know, do what we love. And I think a lot of guys bought into that system and that's why we were able to see so much success, especially that year. But, you know, these other years with what, like a, a big five championship, you know, we played against uh, some of the top teams in the country, the other years, um, you know, we hold our own and um, it all comes back to, to that team mentality, that team first um, and whatever it takes to get there. And you mentioned how you guys were such a close knit team, more so probably a family and, and on the court, you know, it, it revolved around Devin. It also mainly revolved around you. So I'm curious because during your tenure, this is, this is the most success the program's had since the mid two thousands. So what does it mean to you to be part of such a resurgence with this program that was running the show from the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, and 2000s? It has mm -hmm. a dry spell, and then you show up with a lot of – with a new coach and then obviously a new system and things of that nature. So to be part of such a resurgence, what does that kind of mean to you, which included, I believe, a tournament bid in 2018? Mm -hmm. it, mean, it honestly means the world to me. Like Penn basketball has such a rich history in, in basketball nationally and also in, in the city of Philadelphia. And I've come to realize – how deep that Philadelphia basketball community really goes, you know, how, how big the big five games are between, um, you know, all the city teams um, and, and being able to be, you know, part of the, the unit that put Penn basketball back on the map. has been huge for me. 
um, that was that was one thing that I that I really wanted to do going in, um, committing committing to Penn um, when they were just going through a coaching change, um, a couple a couple dark years of not really accomplishing too much uh, on the court in our league, you know. Um, I and I think one thing that that contributed to that was how I trusted in in Coach Donahue's vision for for his team you know obviously he's had enormous success in the Ivy League before taking that Cornell team to to the Sweet 16 um, a couple of years back before going to BC and he was uh, he was actually recruiting me when I was at BC or when he was at BC um, so I've, I've had that I've had that connection with him for a while and I really um, I really liked what he was doing I, I trusted in his vision and um, I knew the types of kids who you know he'd recruit and that it goes back to that culture that I knew that he was only going to bring guys who are going to help us win and do it, you know, the right way. And I feel like that he, he did a great job doing it. Um, especially this past year, you know, this freshman class we just had, that might be the most talent top to bottom um, in a class that Penn has had in 10 plus years. It's, it's, it's incredible how, you know, how, how much potential they have and how, how they also, I think they see what I see or what I saw in the program and in coach Donahue. And, and you and you mentioned how Donahue has kind of, you know, led the research like had led the resurgence. You know, you led the way and things of that nature. And obviously, throughout your career, you want to accomplish a lot of things. And you guys did that, winning twenty plus games, making the tournament. You know, making the tournament again. Well, making the Ivy League tournament again this year. And for you, I just want to know your reaction. Like, walk me through the process when you were informed that you were the co Ivy League Player of the Year. Was that a goal you ever had? And how did you figure it out? Yeah, it was a goal of mine um, all four years. Like I thought, um, you know, I was playing for that for that spot, you know, since I was a sophomore. Um, you know, sophomore year, I thought, you know, I was playing for that. I was trying to – obviously, I was trying to do my best for the team and get us to where I wanted us to be, which was in the NCAA tournament, which we got to. And then, you know, junior year, um, I improved on that campaign personally, individually. Um, and I wanted, and I wanted to, to, to have that, you know, kind of accolade. And then senior year, I was, you know, the last year you had to, when we're, when we're going out, um, I wanted, I wanted it to be as special as it was. And I think that, um, with the help of my teammates and, and with all of our hard work, you know, coach Donahue's vision and all that, you know, we were all able to accomplish so many things on an individual level as well as on a team level, you know, how we were able to come together as going through adversity together while still being able to, you know, come out stronger on the other side. So when it, when I finally heard that, um, you know, I was being honored in that way, it was kind of a, it felt like a culmination of everything that, that we've worked towards over these past four years. Um, even though like it's an individual award, you know, I still feel like that since my teammates put so much trust into me and they put, um, you know, they, they really, they, they buy into that system of, of playing through, you know, the center in, in our, in our offense and our system and um, how it all funnels to me on defense and all that, you know, it kind of, it, it goes out to them too, where they allowed me to, to succeed in that role. It would have been really easy for, you know, for guys not to buy in and, and to, you know, do their own thing. And, you know, then our whole team wouldn't have, have seen as much success. And as a result, you know, we all wouldn't have seen individual success. So, it really goes, it goes back to them and their, their ability to, you know, to be coached and to, and to buy into a system that works. 
as well as, you know, I don't want to discount, you know, the hard work that I've put in individually and, and have what I've been able to, um, to do in like de developing my skills and, um, you know, being the type of player that fits best in what we're trying to do. And, and so, so when you won the award, how did you figure out, was it the coach hit you up? Was it someone from the, from the league that hit you up? How did you, how did, how did that come about? Yeah, it was, uh, um, all my coaches texted me uh, individually, congratulating me. I, I hadn't even heard of it, but I'm sure that <laughs> that that they had known because they're the ones who vote on it. I think uh, the the coaches of the league vote on the award, but they all texted me individually, and I was I was very unsuspecting. And you know, as soon as they did that, as soon as I read it, I was like, man, like I can't like because I I was in shock because like I said before, <laughs> it was like a culmination of of four years of work, and you finally come to the realization of such an ultimate goal. You know, I immediately like I'm on my phone, like I'm looking up the Ivy League on Twitter. I was like, man, this, this can't be real. Like I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to like confirm it somewhere. Like not like my coaches would be lying to me about something like that, but I, I had, April I had to get, <laughs> I, had, I had to get some sources on that. <laughs> that's how, uh, that's how I found out about that. Okay, okay. And then I seen an interview where you noted how you, uh, your the the system that you guys run is pretty dependent on analytics, right? Oh yeah. So within sports, especially basketball analytics can kind of be touchy depending on who you talk to. So from your experience, how's it kind of benefited you? And the, I mean, it's clearly benefited you guys, but you kind of had to explain it to maybe someone that's against analytics. How would you explain how it's benefited you personally and the team as a whole? Um, yeah, it's, it's benefited me personally because of, um, you know, how I've been able to, to develop as a player. You know, it's Coach Donahue has always been a big, analytics guy you know big numbers guy and his system revolves around his offensive system revolves around um getting a layup he he, he calls it you know a 90 percent shot at the like if we can get a 90 percent shot at the rim a layup or a dunk we'll take that or if we can get a standstill catch and shoot three-pointer you know those are the two of the highest scoring highest probability shots that we can get you know try to limit dribbles um you know limit the mid-range looks and i think that with that system in mind, I was able to, you know, get really good at those two types of shots, you know, my post moves and my catch and shoot three pointers. You know, if I, if I had to worry about, you know, getting open coming like curling off screens at the elbow, you know, there's so much variation there. There's so much thing. There's so many things that can be, that can go wrong. You know, it depends where, like where the defender is, you know, where your exact footing is on the court. Meanwhile, like three pointers are always the same distance. You know, they're always, you know, I've, position at the top of the key so more or less I was taking the same three-pointer every single time I took one and I think that the number you know the numbers don't lie but they also don't always tell the full story you know it's it's easy in, in sports like baseball you know that's always been a huge analytic sport where it just I'm you know the game stops um every time something happens and I think that's you know, it's, it's okay to, you know, to look at those analytically, like how good is this pitcher against this batter, stuff like that. Well, in basketball, there's so much more variation where, you know, got, you got guys coming off screens at different parts of the floor, you know, the defense is looking at you, um, how close they are, you know, who, who actually is matched up on you. You know, it's basketball is as much mental as it is physical. So I can, I can see the, the argument for both sides, but um when it comes to me, you know, I, I tend to lean more on the analytics side just because, you know, it's tried and true. It's, it's consistent in my mind. Um, you know, players who shoot, um, 
you know, 40, 50% from the mid range, you know, that's a player you should actually have to, you know, get up on when analytics say otherwise for, for most players, you know, if the players are shooting 30, 30% from, you know, mid range pull up jumpers, you know, that's the shot you want them taking. And I think that that goes a lot into our scouting reports. Um, we were, that's why we were able to be so successful defensively on that year that, um, that we won the Ivy League. You know, we were a top defensive team in the country in both, you know, at shots at the rim and three-point defense because we were running them off the line. We were trying to force them into those long contested twos. And some some teams, some players will will take those shots as if, you know, they earned that when meanwhile, you know, we're trying to force them into that. And it all goes it all goes back to analytics. Yeah. So so how do you have like do you do you encounter people that struggle with the placement of analytics in sports, especially in basketball? Or do you think they're pretty receptive from your experience? From my experience, I've definitely come into uh, I mean, especially with how analytics, how analytically driven our style of play is. A lot of times you see the incoming freshmen, you know, they don't understand it yet. That, that's how <laughs> that's how we are. And they're and they're much less likely to to kind of accept that analytically driven game because you know, a lot of guys like to, like, they have their own the way of thinking to begin with. Like, this is how I've always played, so this is how I'm going to keep playing. And a lot of times it works to their because, you know, that's not what coach is looking for. You know, that's not how you're going to get yourself on the floor. So it, it goes back to being, you know, being coachable and kind of adapt to the system that you're in. And I've found that, you know, a lot of successful players are ones that are able to listen to, um, you know, to the person who's giving you those minutes, you know, you can't, you can't do anything if you're not on the floor. So how are you going to, you know, help your team out, you know, scoring wise defensively, if, if you can't get off the bench by doing what you're told by, you know, playing. The um, and that's not to say that, you know, we don't have freedom when we're playing. It's just within a certain set of guidelines, which really is just all offense is, it's you know, in the ball with a set of guidelines and having a system. Um, it's just, it just happens to be that ours is based on analytics rather than, um, you know, whether like who has the hot hand or how, you know, how, how playing you or something like that, like is, but they definitely notice some people who are, who are against the whole, who are very against the whole (laughs) analytics, um, analytically driven styles of play. Definitely. Yeah. And and so, so my follow up to that too is I see you, you are, um, a business major, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So yep. let's, so would you, so let's say post, post playing career or whatever, would you ever want to work in a front office then? Because obviously of the analytics drive and you have a, a background in business, is that something you've ever thought about? It's something I thought about for sure. You know, if I could stay around the game of basketball, um, I would love to do that. Uh, and I found in my, in my four, my four years at, um, at Penn that like new patterns that I have to discover for myself in the, you know, in the, in the realm of, of math, as it relates to business, you know, using um, applications like um, Excel, you know, data visualizations, like Tableau and stuff. I found that I very much enjoy doing things, you know, using those tools to for my academic experience. And hopefully I'll be able to, to use those professionally one day. Um, but finding a passion in those things on their own, I think is a huge thing for me because whether or not I'm around the game of basketball. I'm still going to be able to do something that I that I really enjoy doing. And now, if I can have the best of both worlds and mm-hmm. apply, you know, these things to to the game of basketball, I mean that that's like that's a dream. You know, there's there's no doubt in my mind. I would love to do something like that. 
yeah, because of um, uh, are you familiar with the uh the MIT Sloan's conference? I don't think so. So that is like an analytics sports person's dream. So it takes place every year at MIT, and basically it's a who's who of sports analytics. You've had Daryl Morey's been there, Danny Ainge has been there, a lot of sports executives have been there, a lot of agents. Um, I'm sure I'm sure if you ask your agent about it, he'll tell you about it. But that's like it's. If you could find a way in there, I, I would suggest it just because it's, it's very insightful. Um, I've never been, but I've heard about it from so many people that it's just you need to be there if you're if you're really interested in it. So I'll, I'll, I'll just throw it out your way. Um, What's that called? Uh, the MIT Sloan Conference. I'll I'll text you. I'll text you after when we're done. Um, but it's, cool. it's definitely yeah, it's pretty it's cool. It's, it's a yearly conference, and um, yeah, man, I like just seeing sports analytics from from my perspective is is interesting because the Celt. I'll talk to someone from the Celtics organization. They'll try to break down how the Celtics use analytics in their draft process and free agency. I'm like, man, that's that's just a lot. Like, you, you like, like, yeah. like the like a casual person won't think about it, but when you like when you really look at things, it's like you're trying to figure out as much as possible about someone that's more than what you see on the court. They're like you mentioned, mm-hmm. numbers. They may not tell the whole story, but they tell you something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's that's one thing that I've tried to take, um, you know, with me in my career, where you know, on paper, you know, a player might be you know, the next LeBron James, you know, they, they might be putting up numbers in their school, in their college, but then, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, they're going to be when they get to, you know, when that's their job, you know, some guys like they might be, you know, late to workouts, they might be missing lifts, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I've always tried to make it a point for myself to always stay on top of those things and never, never let that even be a question. You know, I'm, I'll always be the first one in the, in the locker room for film, always the first one on the court. Uh, for practice just so you know it kind of leaves that one unknown out of the way so you don't have to think about that you can just think about you know how are you going to get me better in on the court you know in basketball how you how I'm going to improve playing so you don't have to worry about what I'm doing off the court or in preparation just be as low maintenance as possible yeah and and and, um and for you I know this is circling back to what we discussed earlier but so when you were finishing up your your career at Penn when did you when did you kind of make the decision that you want to entertain a pro career and then pursue an agent? Like when did you kind of realize that and how did you what was that process like? Um, you know, that's that's always been a dream of mine was to was to play professionally, you know, get play get paid to do something that I love. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always been something that I've wanted to do and then it started to become a reality um my junior year in college when um you know, I sat down with, with coach Donahue and he was telling me about how, you know, this year you're going to be approached by, by agents at, you know, at, at games, you know, after games, while you're trying to, you know, spend time with your family, there's always going to be, um, you know, someone in your ear. And he just tried to prepare me for, for what that process was going to be like. And in a lot of ways, you know, it was like a decision, like that I've been through before, you know, I've had to decide to go to school back when I was in high school I had to decide where I wanted to go I had to decide you know what college I wanted to go to and now the next step is deciding you know what agency you want to join what agent do you want to pick you know there's there are going to be suitors just like in any other uh, decision that I've made in the in the past couple of years and just treating it in a similar fashion obviously every situation is different but that decision making process was still um, the same way just you know have a close circle evaluate the options with them and eventually come up with a decision that is best for you. And I think that I did that. Okay. And yeah, no, I, cause obviously 
like you mentioned, like when you pick a high school, you pick a college, pick an agent, mm-hmm. it's, it's a big, big decision because you're entrusting someone with, with your career, yeah. with your, like with your life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's then, not easy. Those decisions are not easy, but it's, it's, it's good to have, you know, I've always been told, you know, it's good to have a hard decision because that means you have a lot of things that look good to you yep. and you have to decide which is going to be the best. So in, in some ways there's less, there, there's like no way to go wrong, but there are ways to, you know, have a, to make a better best decision. If you know what I mean? No, no, I, I get you hundred percent. Um, and you mentioned something else that was interesting. You mentioned how you got to pick a high school. And so you were a guy that you went to Algonquin, right? First. So you, so you went there yeah. and then you transferred yeah. to Northfield Mount Hermon, which for, for people that aren't familiar, that's school that delivers a lot of division one players or a lot of college prospects in general. So you moved to the NEPSEC. And I, so I wrote a feature story, uh, I want to say two years ago about, about the NEPSEC. It featured guys like Donovan Mitchell, Terrence Clark, George Zniang, yep. a, bunch, a, bunch a bunch of guys. So I'm, I'm very familiar with the NEPSEC. So I wanted to know, what was that process like to select going into the NEPSEC? And now that you're, you're officially done with your career, how would you view it? How would you kind of critique it in a way? For deciding where I went to high school? So, so what made you – so having gone through the NEPSEC, like what impressed you the most about the NEPSEC? Because to me, it's one of the best high school leagues mm-hmm. in the country. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, what impressed me the most was how, how prepared I felt out of you know coming out of high school how prepared I felt for going into college and not just the basketball aspect but every aspect um it's and a Northfield Mount Hermon a prep school in the NEPSAC was very much a, a college prep school where uh, it was a boarding school you had a college-like schedule where you have you know three to four classes a day um you know you practice in the middle of the day between classes and then on top of all that you know you play some of the best competition in the in the country you know, there are just, you could, if you, if you, you could make a very, uh, you could make a very good team out of NEPSAC alumni um, that could, that could stand up to, I think, any other league in the country. Um, but coming out of high school, you know, I felt as prepared for college as anyone. You know, I had that experience living away from home, that experience of having to manage my own time. Um, it was, it was, I was definitely very, very prepared. And that's the one thing that I was most thankful for. Um, and then, you know, seeing my other college, you know, classmates, you know, a lot of them didn't have that experience. So I felt like I kind of had a leg up where I could focus more on, you know, getting in the gym, you know, setting my priorities and, you know, getting, getting more in the flow of things. Well, well, some other, you know, some other people, not just my teammates, but other, you know, students at the school are still acclimating to, you know, life away from home. Um, you know, the, this type of schedule that you have, you know, the course load, all that, where I feel like I was already, you know, I was already living that for three years on top of playing some of these great teams and these great players. Um, and there's really no, I, I, in my biased opinion, you know, I really think there's no better place in the country for college prep basketball than the NEPSEC. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you on that because having – when I was at the Boston Globe covering high school sports, and that was my first time in, in, uh, being introduced to the NEPSAC, and then I seen the alumni list, I seen the, the amount of Division I players, I was, I was just amazed by it. And, and you're an example of it too where you dominate 
the the public school scene so much where it's like you want to play guys that are not not to demean the public school scene but you want to play guys mm-hmm. that are on your level so it kind of helps you with more exposure and obviously when you go to NEPSAC too there's a little bit more leeway in terms of recruiting for going to college and all that stuff yep so I just feel like there's just so many benefits and even now like I'll see some like young high school players I'll talk to coaches and I'll just suggest like NEPSAC is the way to go if you if you yeah. have premier talent, you'll take your game to the next level. Like, NEPSAC just makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not to say that the decision to leave public school is easy. You know, it was – Yeah. That was actually really – it was really hard for me because, you know, as much as, you know, NEPSAC basketball helped me in terms of basketball and, and college prep and all that, you know, there's something about it that doesn't quite get matched by um, – you know, the high school basketball scene, you know, what it's like to be like a local kid, you know, you know, lighten up the gym in front of all your classmates, you know, the pa- packed gym where this is like this spot where everyone goes to, you know, on Friday nights, you know, in front of a packed crowd, you know, you don't, you don't really get that at, at private schools as much. And it's hard to leave that, but in terms of um, taking my, my basketball career to the next level, it's really, it was really a no brainer, but it was, it was still, you know, leave your friends behind. Um, you know, that, that you're able to, to help build at, at school. And that was something that I, that I definitely missed out on, you know, was the, the high school basketball scene in, uh, in central Massachusetts. But um, overall, obviously, I think it was the right decision. <laughs> I would, I would <laughs> think so too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, then, and then my follow-up to that, because I, I'm, I, I like the NEPSAC, but also too, you mentioned earlier about AAU. Now, I couldn't find the right answer to this. Maybe you play for two teams. Did you play for two AAU teams? Yeah, I played for a couple teams, you know, through through my high school career. Um, okay. Mainly, so I started off. I started off playing with the with the Middlesex Magic out of okay. um, out of Massachusetts for yep. a couple years when I was in high school. Great program, you know. I still, you know, I, I love I love those guys. I love the the coach, what they do with it. Um, you know, they, it's, it's just such a well-run program. You know, I have nothing but good things to say about them. And then my last year when I was really trying to, you know, get exposure in front of the top, the top coaches, you know, the top of the top, I, I changed to the Adidas circuit and I played with the New England players for, uh, for, okay. for my last summer, which was also a great experience. I was able to go down to, to Atlanta for a tournament. We went to Vegas um, Dallas, you know, we went to all these places all around the country, you know, all paid for, um, all that Adidas sponsorship money, you know, it's all, um, it was all great and, um, definitely, definitely a great experience, but those, those two teams will always, uh, you know, I'll always remember those as being just great basketball experiences for me. Okay. Yeah. Cause when I was doing my research, I was like, you play for two AU teams. And I was trying to like line up the dates, mm-hmm. but I struggled so much. I was like, cause I went to the, I went to the Middlesex magic website and I seen that they have they have you as an alum, and obviously we, we know the player situation, so there wasn't anything available. So I was just right. trying to I was just trying to find things out, and then I see I was like Coach Crot I seen Coach Crotty tweet about you, which Coach Crotty has been good to me in the past. Him and um him and Pat Conson they they've been good to me. So I, I was trying to figure things. out. I was like, did he play for it for just the Middlesex Magic? So I'm glad you clarified that for me. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then so my second last question too is, so you mentioned trying to find exposure. And so when you're a guy yeah. that's not like a five-star or four-star recruit playing for all these big, big schools and all that stuff, how, I don't know how to phrase it, but how hard is it or how challenging is it to find the right exposure to get coaches to notice you? 
Yeah, it, it's definitely not easy. You know, a guy like me, you know, I'm not, I'm not dunking on people uh, every game. You know, I'm not, I'm not a high flyer. You know, I'm not, I'm not a guy who will, who will cross someone up, and make them fall. You know, that's, that's not my game. So, it's easy for for guys like that to to get exposure because you could. Uh, my high school coach actually had a had a, a nice analogy to this, where some players who can who do have those abilities, you know, they could be recruited in a tweet. You know, you see in a tweet, you attach a video to it, you can see yeah. a lot about a player. Um, you know, someone posterizing someone at every turn, someone crossing someone up. You know, that's that's just not my game. You know, you can't pull picture in just a tweet. Um, some guys we had on our team, he said, would be like, you know, they'd be like a magazine or a newspaper. You know, you got to flip through a couple pages. You got to, you know, you got to, you, you can skim it and still get relatively like a, a good amount of the picture. Um, but guys like me, he would always say, you know, I'm like a seven, I'm like a seven book novel, uh, series. You know, I'm, you, you got to come and watch me play many times to really uh, see the value that I'm able to bring. You know, I'm not, I'm not a player by any means. You know, some people call me old school. Um, you know, I'm not jumping out of the gym. Um, not doing any of that, but you know, I'm consistent in, in what I, in what I am good at, you know, I find what I'm good at. I get really good at it. And I try to master that and expose my, you know, my opponents for, you know, not being on that level. And I think that it takes a couple games when I start to do that consistently to really, you know, open some eyes. And I think that by the time my high school career was winding down, I was starting to get those looks that I felt like I, you know, I earned from, for, for many years. But like I said, you know, they don't come till later when these coaches have a chance to see me for, um, for multiple seasons. So um, it's tough for, for guys like us to, you know, to get seen and get recruited, but you know, it's a grind. You just work at it, put your head down, you know, just keep working and, you know, don't let anyone tell you different because um, you know, there, there's always going to be people in your ear telling you like what you should be doing, you know, the types of leagues that you should be playing in. But um, <laughs> that kind of takes away from your ability to, to set your own goals and to, you know, to reach for those, um, you know, those high majors. And, you know, that's obviously everyone's goal is to, is to play great basketball, you know, go to a great school. And I think by the time my recruiting process was, was winding down, I was able to do all those things. I was able to, you know, open the eyes that I wanted to do. I was able to get on some, you know, some recruiting bulletin boards, you know, in some coaches offices. Um, and eventually I think I made the best decision for me and, you know, I've never, never looked back, never thought about what it'd be like to go somewhere else. And I think that's, that's how it should feel for, for guys who, who really truly are making their own decision. You know, it should really feel like that it's their decision. Um, you know, they should own it and um, never look back. And, and you said it, you said, you said it pretty well, basically like, you know, guys got to come see you in person. And, but you mentioned that your, your senior, so was it your senior year when you noticed you got more attention from coaches? Yeah, it was like my my junior, my soft my my junior year at uh, at Northfield Mount Hermon. I was starting to, you know, I, I had one season under my belt there. I was entering my second season. I was starting to get more consistent playing time, and my my skills were really starting to to develop. And I was starting to, uh, you know, to come come into my own physically. You know, my body was still developing as a lot of high schoolers are at that stage, and happened to be one of us for me. And, Luck was surrounded by a lot of very talented teammates um, at Northfield Mount Hermon who would attract coaches to them. You know, those types of players mm -hmm. who are who are like tweet players, you know, they're guys who you can you can see a video of and, and know how how good they are. So we have coaches coming to them to see them. And then I'll be able to go and, you know, show what I can do 
and kind of open eyes that way. So that's another benefit of that I had going to a school like NMH where I was surrounded by great players and great talent. It was a it was like a hot spot for for all these coaches to yeah. to kind of gather, uh-huh. and then they were able to to see you know what the other players were able to do, and I think I was one of the you know the main beneficiaries I was one of the biggest beneficiaries to to that system that we had going you know the guys who you know they were already there to see you know they got their offers they got their looks and then guys like me who were trying to earn you know earn their spot um we were able to benefit so much from you know from being surrounded by guys like that competition like that while still being able to improve yep and then this this will be my second last question um so having been an Ivy League athlete you know First of all, not everyone can say they they are they graduate from an Ivy League school, let alone say they're an Ivy League athlete. For you, are there any stigmas that that come with being an Ivy League athlete or anything of that sort? A little bit, you know. When you're when you're at at school, um, you know, it's it's really hard to to balance those two things because of how much time athletics takes out of you and how much time academics takes out of you. So finding that balance and a lot of people can't do it you know for me I was I was very overwhelmed in my first couple months at school and then a lot of my classes in the business school were were group projects and stuff like that and so a lot of a lot of people who who were in my in my classes you know they don't want to work with an athlete not because they don't necessarily think that they they can do the work or they like they're smart enough or anything like that but because physically like we just don't have the same amount of time that they do you know the times we could meet for these types of things were you know, either early in the morning or late at night. And, you know, these other people who don't do sports, you know, they might have an extracurricular or two, but more or less, you know, they have an extra three or four hours of their day that I don't have. So that was, that was definitely something that I noticed um, a little bit, a little bit of a stigma there, but, you know, you can't blame someone, you know, I'm, I, I would feel the same way. I would want to, to be in a group where everyone is able to put their, you know, put their, their best work into because that's just that's the type of person I am you know if I'm doing if it's worth doing then it's worth doing well so you know well obviously for me I was trying to get into those groups with those people who you know those smart kids in the in the, <laughs> in the business school classes so you know they'd be able to um, you know we'd be able to present the best body of work that we could but you know it, it, it was definitely a little bit tough but um, uh, that stigma was something that all student athletes we were able to to kind of get around by having our own community and our own um, you know, our own groups. So a lot of times, you know, you get close to, to other athletes from other sports and you know what each other is going through. Like, you know, the time it takes to be a division one athlete. Um, and I think that level of understanding is something that, you know, the average student wouldn't understand. And I think us having that together um, with other athletes is, was very important, especially with such a rigorous academic schedule. We were able to, to come together and kind of, you know, have that shared adversity. You know, I, I said, you know, adversity. It's not. Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's, 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 it's schoolwork. You know, it's tough, but like it's not. It's still a challenge. Exactly. Yeah, definitely a challenge. But um, you know, we try to stick together as much as we can. Okay. Okay. And I, and I know I've taken much of your time, but I'll leave you with this. Is there anything else you want to mention or add or touch upon that maybe I didn't bring up or so? I don't. I don't think so. You, you touched on a lot of things. <laughs> I got, I feel, I feel good about, about this talk we had, you know, it was, I got, you know, I touched on a lot of things that I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, I probably talked to you for a while too, but yeah, I appreciate um, it. Oh, no problem. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, but I think, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's all I wanted to say. Cool. Cool. AJ, I appreciate you. Appreciate you making time for me, especially through these uh, technical difficulties, but I appreciate it, man. And I'll make sure I'll text you about the, the Sloan conference, but 
yet again, thank cool. you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Broder, like many recent grads and young adults, is looking to pursue the career of his dreams. But like anything in life, unforeseen circumstances occur. For someone like him who's already a French prospect, the odds are already stacked against him. But it's like that for most young adults looking to make their dreams a reality. The path to our dream career has gotten more difficult, and only those with the correct fortitude will overcome the current hardship. People should also have the fortitude to like, comment, subscribe, or share this podcast however they please. Now, with that said, enjoy No One by Mallory. I got myself Been waiting so long for someone to hold me down yeah. Turn my office up Been a minute now Since I thought of something I could finally write about See my mind on back then before I was rapping Struggles in my life I had to figure out When I had nobody to call, no whip to claim No money at all, yet I overcame All the doubts I had when life is twice as bad Now I'm ready to speak cause I got something to add As time moves quickly, I'm writing songs and I hope you get me Strictly for the ones who listening I'ma go and bless the game like a christening If you can't tell I'm showing off, you showing off huh. All the rappers got me dozing off It's for the times that I spent alone Sharing stickers with a microphone, that's why I yeah. Don't need no one, I got myself Been waiting so long for someone to hold me down And love me now, slowly figuring out how No one can love me like me and write this nicely It's just unlikely, that's why I Say it with me now, say it with me now Don't need no one, I got myself Need no one, I got myself Been waiting so long for someone to hold me down And love me now, slowly figuring out how No one can love me like me and write this nicely It's just unlikely, that's why I Keep to myself Seem like the best way to move in this world With my eyes still stuck on some wealth Mental health's all I risk, that's for sure See some chase of fame, all to make a name All to make it out, or the place they came So, so for bears, lost the friends they had Says to see shit change, that's life I guess When thoughts compound the stress Will I amount to one of the greats If I thought of fate, I'm running in place This dream I could chase, I'm winning the race So who gon' stop me now? No nigga gon' let me now Playing to go as far as I can with the world in the palm of my hand Cause every line I spit is potent on the beat and no, I'm floating, focused, waiting on my moment Rest assured, I'm gon' be noticed, yeah Throwing far from the city of dreams, cold flow with no damn accent Rhymes, please, but just give me a beam But told that life's not quite what it seems, that's why I Yeah, don't need no one, I got myself Been waiting so long for someone to hold me down And love me now, slowly figuring out how no one could love me like me and write this nicely, it's just unlikely That's why I say with me now, say with me now Don't need no one, I got myself Need no one, I got myself Been waiting so long for someone to hold me down and love me now Slowly figuring out how No one could love me like me and write this nicely, it's just unlikely That's why I Sound like some 83 base state in the basement shit If you were there, you were there If you weren't Shit Shout out Yonder. Don't need no one, I got myself. Been waiting so long for someone to hold me down.